We will read in just a moment, um, but before we do that, let's just pray. Let's pray together as we commit our time to him. Father God, we come to you in these moments and we're very aware of your presence with us as we continue to praise you, as we already sung these songs of worship, as we think of our own lives and our walk with you. And Lord, in these moments as we study your text together, as we read, as we uh, hear what you have to say to us, we pray that these things will be very helpful to us, that you will speak into our lives in a new way this morning, that the words of this uh, book will be fresh to us, that we will be active in our minds and in our participation as we come to your word, realizing the seriousness of this moment and the wonder of this book and how it speaks into every moment and every situation in our lives. So Lord, help us now by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the word discipleship does not exist in the Bible. That's a good place to start, isn't it? It doesn't exist. There is nowhere in the Bible that you could go and look and find this word discipleship. The word is ambiguous, actually. And what I mean by that is that uh, it doesn't uh, simply have one meaning. But actually, it it flows out of uh, many meanings and many examples and places in the Bible. And unlike, uh, unlike last week, where we looked at baptism... Uh, and we sum that up in one sentence or one phrase or a summary, discipleship, I think, can't be uh, summed up simply by one sentence. Why? Well, discipleship is multifaceted. You see, it has a number of different aspects to it. And we have to understand this before we try and tackle the subject of discipleship. And please, as we spend actually today, morning and evening, looking at this, we're all going to just scratch the surface. Uh, This subject and topic and uh, biblical principle of discipleship is is great. It's big and it's huge. And we will not uh, cover all that we need to cover to tick it off our list as such. We could learn about discipleship through our whole lives. Uh, But I want to take the first part of this morning's service to explore this with you. Maybe you've considered the subject of discipleship before. However, I think this will be helpful and a helpful exercise for us all. You see, I actually did touch on this topic with Root and Fruit last year. Before I was here as pastor, we uh, looked at that together. I was asked to come in and just look at that in, in two sessions. And... Today we will touch on some of what we've touched on there. So if you were there, you will hear some of that. But we want to go further than that today as well. So having said what I've said, um, I have actually written two summaries. Because it can't be done in one. Okay, so this is the two summaries. These are the two descriptions that I have here. And they're going to be on the screen for us this morning. And this is the first one. Discipleship is daily denial to self and daily commitment to following Jesus and his example. Let me read that again. Discipleship is daily denial to self and daily commitment to following Jesus and his example. In other words, this is my discipleship, this is your discipleship, 
My walk, your walk, my life, your life, my patterns, your patterns. So that's one facet of discipleship. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Secondly, the other uh, description or summary that I have, which we're going to look at this evening, is this. Discipleship is long-term laboring in the lives of a few, giving your life and the gospel. The second aspect of uh, our points here describing discipleship is that of discipling others. So it is how we share our lives and the gospel with others. As we share together, as we walk together and live our lives together, helping one another or in an aspect helping someone, discipling somebody in your life or a few so these two, these two phrases are just my own interpretation of what discipleship is. Not inspired words, but just how I see it at this point in my life. And this morning I want to cover uh, the aspect of the first point. that I've looked at that first description, was, which was, Discipleship is daily denial to self and daily commitment to following Jesus and his example. Tonight we will look at the other one. So turn with me this morning to Mark 8. Mark chapter 8. Let's get to God's word. Let's read these few verses together. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can, man, what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I'm very aware that we, live, we are living in a world and in an age of self-promotion. An age where self-indulgence and self-advancement and self-discovery uh, and self-elevation are the order of the day. That's where we live. That's the world that we live in. However, when we look at God's word, we see that Jesus here is calling us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Verse 34. And here is Jesus' commands. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. And this command is made up of two major components. Denying yourself, or as we call it, self-denial, and secondly, taking up your cross, or we could call it cross-bearing. That's the two components of this command. And here's the wonderful thing about Jesus' teaching. He doesn't just come to us and say, do this, but actually he says, do this because of this. You want to do this and take this up and, and have this and, and live this out in your life because. 
He gives us incentives, you see, in these moments here, in, in these words. He gives us four incentives, four motives to do this. So let's look at the first one in, in verse 35. In verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Here we have a great paradox, don't we? It's a, it's a, a very unusual phrasing here. A paradox or a paradoxical statement, which at first glance seem confused, seems confusing. You know, we have a person who wants to save their life, but in trying to save their life, all they're going to do is lose it. And another who, if they lose their life, will save it. So we have save-lose and lose-save. Well, to help us understand this a bit better, I, I want uh, us to see what we know of, uh, of what it means to bear a cross in the New Testament. We've just came out, we've come out of Easter We've seen something of it. But this morning, for us to understand this phrase, this paradox, we must understand what it means to bear a cross. What do we know about the cross from the New Testament? Well, here are four things on the screen to help us do that. The first one is this. It was a sign of opposition. The cross was a sign of opposition. Those who stood against Roman rule were crucified on the cross. Secondly, it was utterly shameful. We saw that Good Friday when we looked at the the text, when we looked at that passage of scripture together. That we saw the cross was a a shameful thing. That Christ hung on the cross and he was uh, shamed as he did that. Stripped naked and placed where Everybody could see him. Thirdly, the thing that we know about the cross from the New Testament, that it was a place of indescribable suffering. It was a place of indescribable suffering. Beaten, mocked and scorned. That crown of thorns placed on his head. Pierced hands and feet. And then fourthly, and this is probably not totally uh, all-inclusive here, there are more we could look at this morning, words to uh, describe and explain what the cross means in the New Testament. But fourthly, we see it always resulted in death. Always. The cross always led to death. Why do I put these on the screen well, firstly, we begin to understand the seriousness of cross-bearing, taking up our cross. Secondly, I want you to see the opposites to each of these points. And this will help us as disciples, those who know and love and have faith in Christ. This will help us to understand what it means to truly take up our cross. And here they are. Here are the opposites, what I think are the opposites to these four things. The first one is this. The opposite to opposition is acceptance. The opposite to shameful is honor. 
The opposite to suffering is surely comfort. And the opposite to safety, uh, the opposite to death, sorry, is safety. And the one who strives to save their life, going back to the text, that person who is trying to save their life, will pursue these things on the right. And by pursuing these things, will surely lose it, namely their life. But here's the problem. There is a nature within all of us, every single one here, who would rather have what is written on the right than actually take up what is on the left. True? That's just, that's just the way we are. This is why Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. Deny our natural desire to want the opposite of what the cross offers That's why Jesus is saying what he is saying. Well, let's look at the second incentive here then. In verse 36, Jesus says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Here Jesus, or Jesus' argument builds as he poses the rhetor- a rhetorical question. And just as a help here, as you, as you approach the text, maybe week by week and day by day in your own study, The answer to any rhetorical question is to turn the question into a statement. That's a good way of of working out what the answer is to a rhetorical question. So here it is, turning this rhetorical question of Jesus into a statement. And this is the statement. Here we are. You ready? There is no good in gaining the whole world if it forfeits the soul. That's the statement. There is no good in gaining the whole world if it forfeits the soul. In other words, there is no good in acceptance, in honor, in comfort, in safety, in possession, in money, in status, or fame. You will still lose your soul. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And yet again, Jesus adds to his argument with a third motive in verse 37. For what can, man, can a man give in return for his soul? Another rhetorical question which can simply be answered like this. Even if you have the world, even if you have the entire world or you think you do, it cannot buy a soul out of hell. You can work tirelessly in your life, working to be the best and possess all you can. Yet if your soul is lost, nothing that you have or possess will be able to redeem that soul. And the fourth and final incentive in verse 38 reads like this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me pose us a question this morning. Is the approval of the world more important to you than the approval and affirmation of Jesus? Is the approval 
of this world more important to you than the approval and affirmation of Jesus? Is acceptance, honour, comfort and safety your number one priority in this life? Is that your goal? If so, then when when Jesus comes to gather his people, which he will do, you will then truly know what it is to be rejected, to be opposed, to be shamed, and your soul will be lost for eternity. See, those things that we have avoided all of our lives, thinking that you have gained the world, you will then realize that you have lost it all because when he comes, you will experience all of those things that you have avoided in every moment and every day of your life. But if we live for it, if we live for them, if we deny ourselves, if self-denial is a daily exercise that we are, we are carrying out, as we wake up each morning, turning to him, leaning on him, denying ourselves and our desires for all the world's uh, pleasures and all of that his, it shows us and calls us to, if we do that and we decide that we want to live lives like this, that we are those who who are happy to face opposition in our lives. Those who will be shamed because they love Christ so much and they would take up the gospel. Those who will suffer for Him. And I don't know, but in the next 10, 20, 30 years, what this place will look like and how already in the years that we've seen in my 30 years, we've seen Christianity being marginalized and pushed out of the, the world and trying to be shut down, we are going to face at some point, although we live in a free country, where still at this point we have the ability for free speech, there is a day coming where they will not want to hear the message that we have. And I wonder who will stand then and continue to faithfully proclaim the word that we have in front of us. Who will live that life out? In those moments, who will stand? Which one of you, which ones of you, who, who of you will continue to live the life that you live now when, when it really hits the road? So we must turn from the pleasures of this world to the ultimate satisfaction which is found only in Jesus. Stop chasing the things that lead to death. See, when it's put like that, it seems mad that we would chase the things that lead us to death. You would give your time and efforts to that. But that we would be those who would follow the one who gives life. And I want to finish with this as I speak to those who know Christ as Savior here this morning we have been freed from the bondage of sin that does not mean we do not sin or struggle to sin 
But we have been freed. And over 300 years ago, John Owen, a very influential Christian writer, wrote this. And I want you to write this down or remember this. It says this. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin. Cut it off. Kill it. Don't feed it. Because if you do, it will kill you. This self-denial and cross-bearing, it's a daily expectancy. Turn, as we finish, to Luke 9. Luke 9 and 23. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross Daily and follow me. If we are to be true disciples, we must deny ourselves taking up our cross daily and following him. We must starve the old life and now live in and feed the new life that we all have. Those who trust in him and know him as saviour in Christ. And our cry really then should be this. I choose to lose. Lose all the benefits of this world. To live in Christ. To live for Christ. To wake up daily and deny myself and take up my cross. I now live for him and the gospel. Even against opposition and shame and suffering and potentially death. Why? Why would we do that? Well, here's a very simple answer. Because Christ has already done that for me. He's already done that. Don't think that he told them to take up their cross while being unwilling to do it himself. Because just in a few moments, if we, if we carry, on to, carry on reading through that gospel of Mark, we see he went. He carried And he bore that cross. And more than that, our sin. So that we may also take up our cross. That we also, through his death, may have life. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning as we look at these few verses of scripture as you spoke them out as you commanded those who were standing around you in those days those disciples and those followers of yours as you had commanded them to to deny themselves to take up their cross and Lord as we look at it in detail as we look at it and what it means to take up a cross we're humbled again And we're challenged again that we would not desire what the world offers, but we would desire to take up our cross, whatever the cost. Because we love you. Because all that you have done for us. Because of the gospel that we have. 
and the gospel we need to share. So Lord, whatever we face, day by day, whoever we face, whatever opposition or suffering or slander we face, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, knowing that we do this because it's what we owe to you, because you have done it already for us by taking up your cross, going to that cross and and being scorned and shamed to the most unimaginable lengths and, and depths. So Lord, help us in, in this small way to do this for you. From this moment on, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to